Good morning. Uh, if you would just uh, take a moment and pray with me before we dive in this morning. Jesus, I thank you so much for the fact that you are here. And I'm amazed at the ways you work. This particular text that we're looking at was decided a year ago that this particular Sunday we would look at this text. And then weeks ago, in the privacy of my office, you and me worked through it, having it speak to my own heart, to find a message that would be a blessing to this church. And Father, I'm amazed because of the topic that we are looking at today, about every day this week, I have had an encounter with someone who this is related to. And so, Father, there's a bit of me that's anxious this morning, not because I'm saying anything challenging, but because I so desperately want you to be heard this morning, for your Holy Spirit to speak through me, all for your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to start by just sharing with you a little bit of wisdom on how a man's brain works. Now, I know some of you are married and you're already thinking, I already know what my husband's already thinking all the time, and you're probably right. But let me go ahead and give you some wisdom on this because there's something in this I think we can all learn. See, a man's brain works like a closet full of boxes. And every box has its own label. And when men get together, we, we pull down off the shelf of our brain that particular box, we open it up, and then we begin to translate for knowledge just related to that particular box. Nothing has any connection to anything else. So it's not like, hey, we're talking about cars and let me tell you how this relates to your mother-in-law or anything like that. We just stick strictly to the car, right? And then when we're done, we close the box, we put it back up on the shelf and we might consider grabbing a different box if we want to continue the conversation. That's how a man's brain works, right? Um, and ladies, this is why uh, your man can talk for hours and hours and hours about hunting cars, barbecue, whatever they're passionate about at the moment, whatever project that they're working on, but they can't remember birthdays. Okay, uh, because we don't have a box significant enough in our brain for the birthdays of your cousin and your aunt and things like that. We just don't, right? The, we don't do that as men. But we do this, right? When we get together, we're transferring knowledge, and some of it's a little bit of a competition, right, to see which man knows the most about which subject, all right? Um, and sometimes it's just merely to gain more knowledge when we're communicating with one another because men do this. And women, you do this as well in your own way, and I'm not going to go into it because I don't want to be rude, right? I still want to have a job here. Um, but, but you do this because at some level, we all understand that knowledge is power, right? Like when you know something, you have a little bit of power on what to do and how to handle a situation. Let me give you an example. Someone gives you a cactus as a plant. You have the knowledge to know that the cactus does not need a whole lot of water and it needs a whole lot of sunlight and that gives you the power to keep the cactus alive. And you do this in all sorts of areas in your life because we've reached a point in humanity where it's no longer who's the strongest, the most barbaric, therefore you're the most powerful. We understand in our world today, it's who knows the most. You see, this is why you read the books you read. 
This is why you go to the seminars you go to. This is why you take those classes you take. This is why you're always trying to learn to do a little bit better because the more you know, the better you are, the more powerful you are to shape your situation, right? Like this is why some of you, your whole career revolves around what you know and how well you can communicate it. And the more you know, the better salesperson you are or any other thing, how you're able to help people because you know enough to be able to help them. You have some sort of power involved here, right? This is something we all can agree on, that knowledge is power in this day and age, which means we can all agree on this other fact, that nothing feels as powerless as not being in the know. Now, you know this as well. Like, if you're at your job and changes are happening in your job and you know things are upsetting, things are out of balance, but you have no idea what's going to happen to your position and things like that, you feel a little powerless because you don't know. You know this as well. When you're sick and the doctor keeps coming in saying, I have no idea what's wrong with you, but the moment that you do find out what's wrong in the situation, what, you feel a little bit more comfortable, right? Because there's some power in knowing. And when you don't know, you feel powerless. Some of you men that you're sitting there thinking, I recognize this in my marriage because I have no idea what my wife or my teenage daughter are thinking. And here's the truth. They probably don't know either. Anyways, all right? <laughs> I'm probably going to get in trouble for that one. Um, but here's the thing. We all recognize this, right? Like you have a moment in your life where you come into the situation and it feels so incredibly powerless to say, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do about this. I don't know how to make this better. And some of you, that's where you're at right now. Some of you are thinking that because of your marriage. Maybe your job. Maybe your health. Maybe some relationship. Maybe something that has just happened that is so traumatic. Maybe it's you're spinning so many plates, you feel weighed down by life, and you're sitting there thinking, I don't know. Nothing feels so powerless as not being in the know. Which makes us ask the question, what do we need to know when we feel powerless? Now, our world will tell us what we need to know is more knowledge. We just need to acquire a little bit more, and then we're going to feel a little bit more comfortable. Then we'll have power. But this is a lie. And history helps us to see that. If you'll just bear with me, if you look at some ancient history, some ancient societies, you'll see how the uh, way of just pursuing more knowledge, saying this is going to make you more powerful, this is going to help your situation, is a lie. And I know you're probably thinking, Mason, why in the world would we look at ancient societies? Like, what do they have to teach us about our current situation today? I mean, we've got indoor plumbing, we've got Wi-Fi, like we're so far more advanced than them. But what we discover when you actually look at human history See that we're just the same. We're dealing with the same problems, wrestling with the same questions. And here's, I'm just asking you to bear with me, have a little curiosity with me, that maybe someone long ago went through what you're going through. Face that exact same question. And maybe they wrote it down and to share this wisdom out. And that's what we're going to look at. And when you look at a, one particular society in history, a place known as Ephesus in the first century. Now, Ephesus was a world that was all about what you knew made you powerful, right? It was all about this society that says, hey, it's in a competition with one another. You couldn't trust anyone, but if you had the power, then you could sell it. 
You were somebody. You were rich and wealthy. You were the person that everyone wanted to be because you had the knowledge that other people wanted. That's how their whole society worked. Very similar to our society. And it created a lot of dysfunction, a lot of mistrust, a lot of competition, a lot of pain. And then all of a sudden comes this guy named the Apostle Paul. And Paul had this wonderful ability that everywhere he went, he just disrupted the whole status quo. Like culture, you know, anthropologists would look at Paul and see him as a villain because he walked into a place and he's like, I'm going to completely change everything here by sharing with you a different knowledge. And he shared with the people in Ephesus a, a knowledge about this guy named Jesus. And, and for Paul, he claimed that Jesus of Nazareth was the only God, the most high God. And now I'm not inviting you or asking you to believe that yourself. That's up to you. But I want you to just know a little history with Paul. He would go in and he would share this message about what this God Jesus has done, how he's died on a cross for sinners, how he's risen again, and he invited people to come and be followers of this Jesus. And then he writes a letter years later, after he's in prison. And he shares with them this dilemma. The very dilemma that we're looking at this morning. Of what do we need to know when we feel most powerless? And he's in a very powerless position because he's in prison. But here's what he says to us. It's in chapter 3 where we're going to be picking up this morning and our journey through this letter. And in chapter 3, verse 14, here's what he says. For this reason, now he's referring to everything he's talked about in his letter, about who Jesus of Nazareth is and what Jesus has done for us, how Jesus died for sinners and invited us into a new beginning on life, a beginning that God has always intended for us to have, to be who we are always meant to be. And he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Right, so after three chapters of laying out the gospel and the good news of Jesus, Paul's only response is to get down and pray. Now, you might be thinking, man, that's not for me. I'm not really a Jesus follower. I'm just here because I was invited here, and I'm not pressuring you to think the same thing. I'm just pointing out how Paul thinks, right? Paul, after he hears of what God has done, and he shares it out, he can't help but to respond in the only way he knows how, which is to pray to this God, right? Because for Paul, him in his world, nothing effective happens in his life without prayer being involved. So he's like, man, I just talked to you about who this Jesus is, and I am brought to a state of praying to this God. And who is this God? Well, he's identified as the one who every family in heaven on earth is named, right? So he's talking, he's like, I'm going to pray to the God who knows all things and therefore is the most powerful being in the world, right? All knowledge is dispensed from this God that he's been talking about. That's what Paul is claiming here, right? Meaning, if God is the one who all things, all things are named, therefore he's the most powerful and all-knowing one, and he's recognizing, therefore, that Jesus is this God, and Jesus has named us and know us, here's what he's saying. He means that Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. Talk about some powerful knowledge, right? I mean, some of you don't even know yourself all that well, but according to Paul, the Jesus he's worshiping knows you better than you know yourself, which is something to think about. And when Paul recognizes that about himself, it brings him to a point where he's like, man, I've got to fall down on my knees and pray to this God. And I'm praying for my readers. That's what he's talking about here. He's praying for us that according to the riches of his glory, this is what he's saying in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory. Now, real fast. 
Glory is a word that we throw around a lot in the church world, but we don't explain it very well. So maybe if you're new to church or you just don't know this definition or you're not a Jesus follower, let me go ahead and explain. For Paul, the understanding of glory here has to do with God revealing his character. So he's saying, in light of all that God is, that this God that we've been talking about, all of his brilliance and majesty and, you know, I was going to say glory as a definition of glory, but that would sound weird. Um, He says, in light of all that God is, here's my prayer to you who are reading this letter. And this is a prayer for us today as well. That he, meaning Jesus, as he's talking to, may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, this is rather interesting here. All right, so Paul knows that we can sometimes feel powerless. And he's praying for the God who knows you better than you know yourself and is all-powerful to strengthen you, to be there for you, to help take care of you, with the places where you are just, find yourself crumbling. Now, I I imagine this is really comforting, really encouraging, I'd hope, but he says something really weird. He says he wants God to do this in your inner man. Now, we do not use this terminology very often, right? Like, we don't go around and say, hey, your inner man is showing, right? Like that, that sounds weird, okay? That's not a terminology we use all the time. You might be like, Mason, that sounds even maybe a little wrong in some ways, right? It's weird, it's wrong. We don't say that, right? So let me explain what he's saying here in as simple of a way as I can, right? He's getting at that the inner man is our true selves found at the core of ourselves. This is the version of you that has been weighed down by a life of failures, and regrets and sin done to you as well as that you participate in. This is the you that you were always meant to be. And just a lifetime of pain has weakened this. It's crumbled it. It's almost made it non-existent. And Paul is praying for the all-powerful God to transform us there because that's where we feel most powerless, right? Right? That's the the little kid in you who is hiding on the playground that's still inside of you. That's who it is. And Paul is saying that he's praying for the God who is all-powerful to strengthen you in the places where you feel the most powerless. And this is for the goal that we read of in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts Faith. Now, let's be honest about something here about that verse, right? Um, and I'm going to point out something that if you grew up in church, you may not have realized this. But for those of you who maybe be new to church, maybe you started coming when you're an adult, or maybe you're like, I'm not a Jesus follower or anything like that, this statement is probably one of those statements that make Christians feel or look a little weird. I mean, here he's saying, inviting Jesus into your heart, right? That's a statement, let's be honest, sounds a little weird. I've heard a lot of kids in my life say, so do you mean that there's a little Jesus-shaped cubby in my heart? And if I was to have open heart surgery, that Jesus would just pop out and say, hi-ya, to any of the doctors in the room, right? Like I've had kids tell me that, and it's a weird statement. It's not something we use all the time, but let me explain what's going on here. He's referring back to this imagery of the inner man. And he's saying, in the deepest parts of who you are, Let's have Christ dwell there. Let's have Christ make his home there so that the real you can come out. So that who God made you to be will be what other people see. 
so that what God has made you to do, they might see what God has made you to do, all for the glory of God. Because for Paul, he believes that where Christ dwells, Christ rules. So in the places where we feel most powerless, he's saying, man, my prayer for you is that in those spaces, the spaces that you just want to avoid, that you want nothing to do with, those would be the spaces that God would say, that's where I'm going to make my home in your life. That's where I'm going to reveal to you just how powerful I am, just how loving I am, just how supportive I am. That's what Paul is praying, that we might realize that and so that we might lean into that, so that we might be people say, God, you know what? Right now I feel powerless, but I know you are here. And I'm going to lean into that because if there is no growing reign of Christ in our hearts, then there will be no growing sign of Christ working through us. And the more we need strengthening for that, as we are still prone to wander away and fall into sin. Because that's the part, the inner man, like I said, is the part that is just weighed down by sin. And that's the place where we need Christ's reign to rule in our hearts. As Paul goes on to say in verse 17 that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. This is a kind of a community knowledge. This is not just you and Jesus. Comprehend with all the saints, meaning that this is a family affair going on here. May comprehend with all the saints was the breadth and length and height and depth. He's referring to the power of this God. That as a community, we might come together and we might realize as we're sharing our stories, as we're getting to know one another, as we're telling one another, hey, here's how Jesus has shaped my life. Here's how Jesus has changed my life. We might grow together being rooted and grounded in the love of a God who we know, hey man, God hasn't abandoned you in this place. Maybe Maybe that's the encouragement for me to see that God hasn't abandoned me where I'm at right now. Oh, you felt powerless over here? Oh, but you, you experienced the love and power of Christ over here? Maybe in this moment right now that I am just feeling like my world is crumbling apart right here, maybe that will be the encouragement to me to know that God is there too because I've heard your story. This is what Paul is talking about, is that together, as we come together as a family of imperfect people following a perfect God, as we share life together, as we get to know one another, as we hear the stories of one another, as we hear, above all, the glory of Christ working in the lives of one another, it might help to strengthen us where we feel powerless. Help us to see that Christ wants to dwell with us too. That Christ wants to be there for us too. And then we go out to embody that with one another. As Paul says, that we may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. For the follower of Jesus, it is God's love which unites us with him in such a way that we have participated in his resurrection and enthronement. It is God's love that incorporates us into Christ's body. It is through God's love that we experience forgiveness of sin based on Christ's sacrifice. It is by means of his love that God chose us before the foundation of the world and a whole host of other blessings come out of this amazing love that Paul shares with us in this letter. 
And the follower of Jesus gets to know an omnipotent God who loves us at our darkest moments, at our weakest moments, at our most powerless moments to show us who he is. And I say that over and over again because I know that many of you are in a situation like that. Not just in this room, but many of you who are watching online as well. And my heart is that this morning, while you're in a crumbling situation, a moment that feels powerless, you might know the God who knows your situation, who knows you, who knows what you're going through. And he has not turned a blind eye to it, but he has waded into the mess to dwell there with you. As John 11 shares with us, we worship a Christ who weeps with us. And Paul is sharing this, that in our seeking to know this Jesus more, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God in verse 19. Essentially, this whole prayer Paul gives is for us to discover the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's not that we have all the answers. It's that we know the one who does. And we're sharing in his love together. We're walking this road together. You're not alone if you're a part of the body of Christ. That's why we say all the time here at the Bluff Church, we are a family of imperfect people following a perfect God, following it together. This is why we do so much of what we do, because we want that so impressed upon you that you are not alone. You're not alone, and you are loved. And we want you to share in the knowledge and the joy of the kingship of Christ. Because when Christ reigns over our lives, his love and power will be displayed for others to see. And that's what we do for one another. We express the love and power of Christ to one another. Because Christ has shown that to us. And we get the power of making that revealed to others by how we treat them. And so Paul ends his prayer by saying in verse 20, he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now throughout this letter, Paul has been talking to people who feel powerless. I mean, the church in Ephesus is a small minority amongst a group of people who do not like them. And so this is a group of people who feel powerless. And they look at their lives and they think, man, we've made mistakes. We've bet on the wrong horse before. We've chased after other things that they thought that would make them feel powerful. And I bet you have too, right? Like common through your sex money or more power, right? Those are the things we all chase after when we feel powerless. And he's talking to a people who are in this situation. People just like us. And he's wanting them to know of this God who has revealed himself in Jesus, who is all-powerful. And he uses that power to share love, grace, and mercy to his people. That's the God we get to worship. And you see, that's the lesson to be learned. When we feel powerless, our world will say, what we need to know is more knowledge, right? What you need to know to get out of this problem is to do this, this, and this. But that's the lie. The truth is, when we feel powerless, what's most important is not what we know, but who we know. 
when we feel powerless, and some of you are there right now, what's most important is not what you know. If you're sitting there thinking, what do I get out? What do I need to know to get out of this? That's not what's most important in that space. It's who you know. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can still take something from this because there's going to be moments in your life where you're going to have to say, I don't know. Where you're going to feel like, man, your world is falling apart, where you're just crumbling around, right? And you don't know what to do. That's just okay because we're all going to be there. It's part of the human experience. And what's most important in that moment is not what you need to know, but who you know. And you can take a lesson from this if you're not a Jesus follower, because I imagine there are people in your life who you can still lean upon. If not, you can find them here. Of people you know what you can lean upon, who are there for you, to help you in those moments when you feel powerless. But for the Jesus follower, the joy here is you know Jesus, the King of the universe the creator of all things, the one who defeats death and laughs at it and then promises us the same victory, the one who takes people who feel weak and powerless and he does extraordinary things to them and he has for the past 2,000 years. You get to know this Jesus. That's the joy you get to have as a Jesus follower. And Paul, for three chapters now in this letter, has, in every verse, tried to get us to see this. Try to get us to know this Jesus. Now, for the rest of the letter, he's going to talk about what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does Jesus have to say about how we think about ourselves? What does Jesus have to say about sex and marriage and money and parenting and all sorts of different stuff? But we have to stop and he asks, do we know this Jesus? Do we know him? Because if we're honest, we all feel a little powerless at times. And like I said, that's been impressed upon me so much this week. About every day, I got texts or phone calls or conversations with people over lunch and dinner just expressing these questions. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do about this situation. I'll be honest, I usually don't know either. (laughs) But I know the one who does. And that's all I ever share. Because that's what's most important. Which is why this morning we're going to do things a little bit differently once again. A few weeks ago, we, we were looking at a prayer that Paul gave in Ephesians that he gives to his readers. And we stopped and had a moment of just going around the room praying for one another. And we opened up the altar down here and allowed people to come and pray. And we're going to do that again. And Pride, if you want to go ahead and come up here and get set up. I like pride. It takes a special kind of guy who last minute to decide, yeah, I'll come and get up on a stage by myself and play some instruments. So I like pride. You're a great guy. And if you've enjoyed this, come and give him some encouragement later on today. Um, He's going to be leading us in a song here in a moment to help us to magnify this Christ. But we're going to invite you, you, if you're just dealing with something right now, and you feel powerless, and you just need to get down on your knees like Paul and pray about it, look, we're going to invite you. Feel free to come down here and pray. We're also going to encourage you as well. Don't stay in your spot, in your seat, unless that's what you need to do. Unless you're like, man, I just need to worship this God. Then by all means do it. 
But we're going to encourage you as well. Maybe consider going around the room and praying for one another. Especially if you know Jesus. Because there might be someone in this room who feels a little powerless right now with the situation that's going on in their life. Maybe that's why they came into this place to begin with because you're looking to make a change in your life or you're looking for something to to go a little bit differently because something has happened that you did not like and right now you just need the comfort to know that you're not alone and that you are loved. Be that person to express that message to someone else this morning. So maybe you just need to go around praying for others. And we did this a few weeks ago, and I imagine there are a few of you who probably sat there in your seats, and you're like, man, I wish I had the courage back then to have gone to the person sitting next to me who I don't even know and just say, hey, I don't know you, but can I just pray for you? That God would work in your life, that God would reveal himself to you, but you didn't. And maybe that's been eating you up for the past few weeks, and maybe you've been sitting there thinking, God, I know you wanted me to do that, but I chickened out. I'm giving you another opportunity this morning to be brave, to be courageous. Now, I recognize there's some of you who are guests or some of you who are not Jesus followers, and I try a lot to be very accommodating to you, to try to give messages that you can still pull from, but this is a moment that you're probably going to think, man, this is weird. This is not for me. I don't understand this. And I'm not asking you to, and I'm asking you to just bear with me because there's a lot of people who are hurting in this room. And my heart so much right now is just to give a little bit of encouragement and comfort. And I recognize that there are some of you who are watching online who aren't going to be part of this moment. And I encourage you, if you're watching it with friends or family, just gather together in your room and just pray for one another. Or if you're watching this throughout the rest of the week, maybe at the gym, you're listening to this, if this is a podcast form or, or whatever, maybe there's someone in your life that you can be praying for. But here's what I also know. The God we worship is transcendent of all time. And he talks about in Ephesians how we are incorporated with Christ in his death and resurrection. So I believe that even though you're not with us in person, that you can be with us in spirit. Because that's the God we worship. His name is Jesus Christ. He's all-powerful. He knows you better than you know yourself, and he wants nothing more than for you to get to know him. And maybe this is the morning that that can happen. Or maybe this is just a morning where you can show someone else that they are not alone and that they are loved. So I'm going to start us off in prayer. And then after that, I encourage you to stand up. You can worship and sing if you need to come and get down on your knees and pray. Um, Or if you just need to find someone else and say, hey, you know, I see you. I love you. You're not alone. Let me just pray for you and ask God to be in your life today. Whatever you need to do, do it. If you would, please bow your hearts with me and let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much once again that you are here. And I pray that as we move into this time, that you might fill our hearts with true worship. And I mean more than just in our singing. I mean in our love for one another right now. I pray that if there are those in this room who feel powerless, that this might be a time where they're just asking you to be involved, asking you to be with them in this. Father, there are so many in this room who are asking questions of what do they need to say, what do they need to do, what do they need to be. And right now, we just want to stop and say what's most important is not what we know, but who we know. 
And we recognize that the one we know is the one who took our sin upon a cross and died for our sins and rose again and offers us a new life. That's the one we know. And that's the one we want to celebrate right now. So to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Won't you stand and worship with me?